Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. Stay ahead of all the big games in the best league in the world, the Premier League. With the latest odds, form guides, expert opinions and more, the fans are the players at Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at ladbrokes.com, 18plusbegambleaware.org, T's and C's apply. This is a game day podcast from TalkSport. Hello, this is the Game Day Podcast from TalkSport with me, Sam Adderface, Euro expert Kevin Hatchard, former FA Cup finalist and England striker Dean Ashton, and TalkSport's football correspondent Alex Clerk, as we look forward to the Champions League final. It's back out to the right edge of the area, what a goal by Sadio Mane on the volley. Diaz, he's going to be round the goalkeeper and scores! Unstoppable shot by Mo Salah. If you cannot enjoy this season, I have no idea. Delivering the consistencies, the boys, the consistency the boys delivered, especially in this, now in this part since January, it's insane. Coming up, revenge or regret? What's driving Liverpool as they rekindle hostilities with Real Madrid? The latest team news, most stays, but is your Mane on Sadio being the next one out the door? We will have a thorough preview of the championship playoff final involving Nottingham Forest and Huddersfield. Is it still the most lucrative game in sport? And the latest news from Chelsea, Saints and Tottenham. From TalkSport, this is the Game Day Podcast. This is Game Day. Yes, and this is the uh, summer series, the first episode of the summer series of the, uh, the podcast. And we're, you know, we're not going anywhere. We're not slacking off. We're all going to be here over the course of the next few weeks to guide you through to the return of the, the Premier League, which returns in oh, literally about eight weeks' time. In fact, it's the first weekend in August. In fact, the Charity Shield is in July this year. Um, so we're not taking any time off. Even Crook, who is in Portugal right now on his summer holiday, has joined us. Hello, mate. You all right? I'm good. I'm good. I thought because it's a Champions League final special, I should uh, travel to Europe for the occasion. So I've done just that. Yeah. Uh, you're just uh, desperate not to be uh, excluded, aren't you? Which is why you're quite happy to get up from your holiday and join us here on the podcast, which is growing a little bit like Crookie's 40th bash. We keep adding people. Uh, there's four of us today. Dean Ashton is here. Hello. Hello. And Kevin Hatchard is here as well. Hello. Hello. Now, gents, I'm sure you know this, but uh, Crook has organised a, a bit of a golf do for his 40th birthday. And you know what it's like for normal people. The idea of uh, a 40th birthday or a golf do is a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. If you like to go golfing, you might do it with your mates abroad for a very special occasion, which this is. But it's one of those things that happens, you know, once. Maybe it's just on one big, big big trip, a special trip with your nearest and your dearest, closest acquaintances. Crook has invited... Hold on, hold on a second. Hold on, hold on. We'll get there, we'll get there. All right, let's play your crookie cards right. Let's open this up. How many of his closest friends do you think that Alex Crook is going to spend four days golfing with in Portugal? Four days! golfing within Portugal as if people haven't got better things to pay for uh, right okay um, Dean do you want to start us off uh, how many people do you think are going to go with Alex Crook on his golfing bash well I think a couple of groups and maybe uh, a couple extras that might not golf um, 15 15 uh, Kevin higher or lower than a 15 oh I think he'll have been ambitious higher 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 what are you going for I'm going to go for 20. Twi- I think that that's the bravado of Crook. That okay. He thinks 20 people will come along. So okay. Yeah, go for 20. Okay, we're going higher than a 20. Dean? Higher than 20? Higher um, than a 20. I'm going to do, I'm going in groups of four golfers, so 24. Higher than 24. Kevin, go on, you're next. So these are people he's just met once. Uh, I'm going to go for 32. <laughs> Uh, it's lower than th- is it lower than 32 have you added more now how many is it I think it's 27 27 I mean you're not going to be able to talk to any of those people 
I mean, Jesus. I mean, either he's got so many friends and he's super popular or he's just really needy and he just needs hundreds and hundreds of people to tell him, oh, wow, Crook, you're 40. No one ever thought you'd live that long. Uh, anyway, talking of friends and foes, Liverpool and Real Madrid again come to blows. They all from distance. Oh, Carriers has seen it go right through his hands. His nightmare is complete, as is Real Madrid's victory. To Rigi, it's 2-0, and it is the European Cup for Liverpool. Divock Origi has won it for them. I can't wait to go there. And not because I think, ah, it's Real Madrid, let kick them or whatever. Not at all. I know how difficult it will be. It's just having the chance to go again for it is really special. The core of that squad, that Real Madrid squad, have been there and done it. But they're still a fantastic side. Just won La Liga as well. It's going to be difficult. I still give Liverpool the edge, but it's going to be tough. No coming back from here for Villarreal. Liverpool have got it done. They have got over that almighty scare. Carvajal's ball in here. This is cup final football, and in cup finals, fairy tales happen. Liverpool and Real Madrid, two of Europe's most historic names, butt heads in the iconic Champions League final this weekend for the third time in history, uh, with Liverpool looking to turn the tables on Madrid for two back-to-back defeats in Kiev in the last final they played in 2008. Cheers, Loris Karius. Um, and last year's quarter-final with Madrid. And Madrid uh, bossed that game. Uh, let's start with the team's motivation and form. Dean, what is motivating Liverpool? The chance for revenge, as Mo Salah has suggested in a couple of tweets, or is this about finishing the season with a bulging trophy cabinet? Because three trophies, including the Champions League, looks fantastic. The League Cup and the FA Cup looks, eh, we did all right. I think, I don't know why Mo Salah's tweets stuff like that, by the way. I think it's ridiculous. But I don't think that revenge is in the players' minds. I think it's just about them being an elite team and wanting to win as many trophies as possible. And I think they're in that mindset, a bit like Manchester City. It's about feeling like you can win everything, wanting to win every single trophy and becoming a team that's going to be remembered for a, for a long time. I think that as a player is something that, that every player wants is, is to be remembered and be, uh, and be looked upon in many, many years time as a fantastic team and a fantastic player. And what better way to do it than against a club like Real Madrid? You know, it, it's one of those games that could be absolutely spectacular. And I, and I love the way it's all being set up with, Madrid having sewn up the league and Liverpool having just missed out on the league at the weekend and how though that the dynamics of that and the dynamics of both sets of players build up to this game, how it's then going to pan out in the final. I, I honestly cannot wait for this game. I've got everything set up, barbecues ready, build up to the game. It is going to be brilliant um kevin there is no sergio ramos to get mo salah's revenge on this time around but uh, he's obviously smarting from that challenge that that ruled him out of most of that final in kiev i was there that night and it was a turning point in the game um but he's not in great form is he he's only scored in two of the last 15 games yeah i, I think just going back to the revenge thing i think for him it is personal i, I really do I, I think he was so devastated by what happened in that Champions League final in 2018. Obviously, they made up for it the year after, but for him personally to be ruled out so early in the final by an act of skullduggery like that and the personal actual pain that went along with that, you know, that's a big deal for him. So I've got no massive problem with that because if that's what fires him ahead of this game, I think that's great for Liverpool. Um, In terms of... The matchup, I think, it is fascinating. Uh, I think Dean's absolutely right about the dynamic because you've got a situation where Real 
haven't been playing in high-intensity games for quite a while, Liverpool have been under the most enormous pressure, having to perform game after game after game. And I think that's probably sharpened them up. So I think this is going to be a fascinating game. Worth pointing out that Liverpool have got Van Dijk back, Canate and Diaz back since the last time these two met in the quarterfinal a year ago. Madrid haven't really added too much during that time, but they are desperate to succeed, maybe to show Kylian Mbappe what he's missing out on. Do you think that that could be a little bit of motivation, Crook, actually? The fact that they need to show they're still the biggest, the best and the most powerful, even though someone like Kylian Mbappe, who was this summer's, I think, hottest property, although it was head-to-head with him and Erling Haaland, um, that he's decided to stay away? Yeah, it's in their DNA, isn't it, Real Madrid, to, to be the powerhouses of European football, to attract the, the biggest names, the Galacticos. It will be a, a blow for them that Kylian Mbappe has decided to stay in Paris. So I think that I think that might be a factor at a boardroom level. It probably won't come into Carlo Ancelotti's thinking or even the players. But the, I think the most relevant point that's been raised so far is the one that Dean made, that Real Madrid obviously had the Spanish title uh, wrapped up with something to spare. They've been able to rest players for many of their end-of-season games. Therefore, they should be fresher uh, than Liverpool. But it's always a fine balancing act, isn't it, uh, in terms of fresh freshness of legs and, and possibly being undercooked. So I think that's going to definitely come into play. Uh, we were having our pre-show chat and you said to Kevin Hatchard, Crook's going to say at some stage that Liverpool aren't playing very well. I don't think they are playing very well. Uh, maybe if you take the FA Cup final apart, they're not playing with quite the swagger they were earlier in the season. So I think that will give Real Madrid hope. I was in the Bernabeu when uh, Real Madrid were torn apart by Chelsea um, and still found a way to win. They did the same against Manchester City and maybe Dean can give us a a player's view on this, but sometimes when that happens, I think the psychology in the dressing room is that maybe your name is on the trophy this year, because let's be honest, Real Madrid shouldn't be in this final at all. Man for man, Liverpool are a better team. I still fancy the Spaniards. Um, Look, I I think it's a false outlook to suggest that Liverpool haven't been playing well, because I think you have to, to factor in the type of pressure and the type of tension that's been associated with certain games. And actually, yes, they've been giving teams head starts in matches, but they've been coming back to win those matches as well. They couldn't knock over Chelsea in the cup final, though, and Chelsea haven't been playing that well. So that might be a concern. But I think to say they played badly is probably a bit off. It's more actually that they've been playing well in patches in matches and maybe not for whole matches. That will have to change in this match. Um, Danny Carvajal, the Real Madrid uh, defender. We won four Champions Leagues in five years, three in a row. It seemed easy at the time and you forget about the value of winning it. After three, practically four years without winning it, we have to appreciate having the chance to win a 14th one for the club. Not many players can say they have a fifth Champions League and it is truly a very important test. There's something about this particular trophy and Real Madrid, which sticks together. But how have they been playing, Kevin? Because they won the league, as the boys have already pointed out, quite a while ago now. Um, I was with Klopp on Wednesday night in London when he won the LMA award, and he was talking about Carlo Ancelotti. But but how are they going to set up? What's the latest from there? Well, I think it's difficult to glean from the last few games in the league just where their level's at because they've had the league one. And that actually is a a huge testament to what Carlo Ancelotti has done. Because if you look at the dumpster fire across the city at Atletico Madrid, their title (laughs) defence was appalling. And if you look at Barcelona, who started ever so poorly under Ronald Koeman, improved under Xavi, but they've never looked like a title-winning team. The fact that he's been able to find a way of getting the best out of his experienced stars, but also develop Vinicius Junior, who's had his best season as a Real Madrid player, also develop Rodrigo, who I'm an enormous fan of. I think that kid is sensational. And mentally, his ability to rise to the occasion in the big games, I think is what is going to mark him out as, as a great player going forward. So he's had this really interesting balance of experience and youth. I think people found it hilarious in some quarters that he went to Tony Cross in that um, you know, that Manchester City situation and said, well, who, or, or was it the Chelsea one? When he, he went to Tony Kroos and said, what should we do? What subs should we make? How should we change it? That is a classic example of what he's done 
with these experienced players because he's empowered them. And he even said in the press conference, look, these guys have, have played more Champions League finals than I have. So why wouldn't I go to them? Why wouldn't I ask them what they think? So I think he's done a really good job of managing those egos and they're in good shape. And the thing about them having won 13 European Cups or Champions Leagues is relevant because it's one of those intangibles. When things get tight, when it looks as though they might be out of a game or out of the competition entirely, that's when they switch on because they've done it before. They know how to get through these situations. It's fascinating that you talk about mentality because one of the things that obviously is associated with Liverpool quite a lot is the mentality monsters thing. And I don't know if you've seen the pictures that came out of training yesterday where they're wearing these special neuroscience caps. Um, Trent Alexander-Arnold and uh, Costa Simicas wearing these special headgear during the training ahead of uh, the game on Saturday. The caps apparently monitor brain activity to analyse and optimise player performance whilst under pressure. Uh, Klopp claims that the devices have helped the players' shooting accuracy. Uh, All these little marginal gains certainly have helped Liverpool over the course of the last couple of years, Dean. But, you know, how important is that mentality? Because they're coming up against a super club who have won it 13 14 times. Liverpool have won it uh, six times. They're looking to win it uh, a seventh. Does that sort of, where does that mentality come from? Is it someone being top at neuroscience and getting in a special company from Germany to make sure all the players are in tune? How much difference does that really make? Well, I think they've shown that it does make a difference. And and when you're talking about this sort of level um, of any sport, then it is those those marginal gains that you need. And, and I think the, the interesting point Kevin made there was about the mentality of, of, of Real Madrid, but also of Liverpool in terms of when things seem really tough and you think there might not be a way to get through it, that is where these players and that constant drilling of the same wording from the likes of Klopp and, and I'm sure Ancelotti as well, it's then the players that kick in and actually are able to relax in those intense, highly pressured moments. And that's what makes them elite players. That's what makes these two football clubs elite football clubs. And, and, and that's what's going to be fascinating. I just, I just keep thinking about the matchups within the game. And, and, and I just think it doesn't matter how much football Liverpool's played or, or how much rest Real Madrid have had. Whenever I've watched Liverpool in certain games and in big games, I don't think there's a club on the planet that can live with them in terms of intensity. And that comes from Klopp and Henderson, the two, the two, um, the two, two people at Liverpool that I think have the biggest influence on the side. And, and that, for me, is what can set them apart, is that relentless intensity that Liverpool just seem to have that no other team does. Okay, um, Liverpool have played some stellar teams in this run. Benfica, Inter, Villarreal, Milan, Porto. Real Madrid have shown that remarkable character we've spoken about in the games against Chelsea and Manchester City along the way and in dramatic circumstances. But don't forget, they also lost to Sheriff Tiraspol earlier in the competition. Um, Let's be honest about it as well. In both those City and Chelsea games, as Crook has already mentioned, they should have gone out. They conceded nine goals in those four uh, matches. Um, Team news-wise... Is Fabinho going to be fit? We think he probably is. And how important is he to the way that Liverpool set up? What's your front three? Does Salah start? Uh, he's not fit and he hasn't been as sharp, but does he definitely get in the team? Crook, we'll start with you. I think Fabinho being fit is absolutely key for Liverpool because he'll come in and do a man-to-man marking job on, on Luka Modric, who for me is still one of the the world's best players, even in the veteran stage of his career. So crucial uh, to Real Madrid in terms of getting to this final. Uh, Mo Salah coming out and pledging his future. I think we'll give Liverpool a boost. We'll come on to that later. Will he start? I think he probably will um, for the reasons that we've already alluded to, that tweet about revenge, almost a personal mission for him to get one over on Real Madrid and, and get his payback. It's a tough one, though, because you look at uh, Diaz and the way that he came into the cup final and absolutely shone on the biggest stage. That will be in, in Jurgen Klopp's thinking as well. Sadio Mane will definitely play. I think that will probably be the front three, actually. Yeah, Salah, Mane and Diaz, seemingly the first choice front three. But Jota's done very well over the course of the season as well. Kevin, is it? can you make a case for not including Salah from the start? 
No, I can't. Uh, I think he should start. Uh, and I think even if you only get an hour out of him, it's worth it. But I actually think there's a very important job that he has apart from scoring goals. And that's to protect Trent Alexander-Arnold if he can. Mm. Because I think one of the keys to this is going to be Real playing the ball long to Vinicius Junior and trying to get in behind Trent Alexander-Arnold. They did it so, so well last year in the quarterfinal. Liverpool had all kinds of problems dealing with that. Oh, it was a nightmare the, for Trent, actually. Didn't he get hooked half, at half-time or something like that? It was, yeah, it was a really tough time for him because they, they Vinicius had a brilliant game anyway. It's interesting what Crookie says about Fabinho and Modric because I actually think the, uh, as amazing as Modric is and as amazing as he has been in this run, I actually think Tony Kroos is the problem mm. in, that, in that midfield because you have to find a way of putting pressure on him and stopping him playing those balls to Vinicius Junior to release him. And so they're going to look to... Obviously, Trent will have looked at that. Liverpool will have looked at that. You know, they're not going to be surprised by it. But Vinicius is better now than he was then. So that's a real danger. You've got the situation where Karim Benzema actually drifts to the left a fair bit in normal play anyway. So that's what creates a bit of space for Vinicius as well. So I would start Salah. He is their best forward. Uh, I think that's indisputable. I think the numbers will tell you that. Uh, but he has to work both ways, causing a threat going forward, but also tracking back. The, the numbers tell you that over the course of the season, Dean. But in terms of form, he's not in it. I know he scored at the, the weekend uh, in the game on Saturday against Wolverhampton, or well, Sunday against Wolverhampton Wanderers. It was a bit of a scuffer, really, to be honest with you. But ultimately, that... that, that that goal-laden first half of the season is masquerading that he hasn't really scored very many since he came back from the Africa Cup of Nations. How much of a concern is that? I think it is a concern, but also he's the type of player that in any given game can take it by the scruff of the neck and, and win it for you. He's, he's, he's that good. It would be a worry, but it wouldn't stop me starting him in this game. I think, you know, your best players tend to turn up in in these big games and, and and he is one of those he is one of those players I, I don't think he will help Trent because he just doesn't and he doesn't think about it enough so I think Fabinho is key because what Fabinho does is he allows then Henderson to play that role of dropping in and he goes and helps Trent at times and I just wonder whether Klopp and I've seen it in recent games as well he's played Konate instead of Matic in certain games and I just wonder with that extra bit of pace that he clearly has whether Konate gets the nod ahead of Matic because of oh, that Oh I think threat. he will I think he will I don't, I don't think there's much uh, debate about that Kev do you? I think there's a good chance. I mean, the only thing you'd look at, I guess, is experience with Matip. Uh, and I've, I must admit, I've been massively surprised. He was a good player in Germany for Schalke. He's been a great player for Liverpool. And I didn't see that leap coming. So I guess on experience, that's the only reason you do that. But you're right, Konate, uh, in terms of the pace, in terms of his form, I yeah. think he's been terrific, actually. He's never lost a game for Liverpool that he started. Yeah, so there's that too. So, But the point Dean makes about Henderson is massive as well because having that ability to put Henderson out to the right just to help out Alexander-Arnold and Salah and try and block off that side, that is really, really important. I know Thiago's a bit of a doubt, um, but Jurgen Klopp said yesterday he's training today for the first time, so the likelihood is he could be available at some point, but I don't necessarily know whether they're going to, to go with that or not. Um, uh, Divock Origi's not available. Um, he did score an 87th-minute clincher against Tottenham in 2019, so it looks like he's played his last minutes for uh, the club. Club. Um, Real Madrid have bowed back and ready for the finale. I'm not sure he'll be involved too much during the game, to be honest with you. He hasn't been involved very much over the course of the season. Alisson surely won't drop the ball like Carrius, but 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 he has had a few iffy moments, hasn't he? And Crook, I think if you go back in history and look at Liverpool's European Cup final experiences, Grobelar, Dudek, Carrius, for good and for bad, Champions League finals with Liverpool are often defined by the goalkeeping performance. I think it might be again. Um, I've covered four finals this year. Each of them have been decided on penalties. And I think that could well be the order of the day for Saturday night as well. So I think uh, both goalkeepers uh, will take centre stage. I think it's going to be that tight. I can certainly see it going the distance. I'm not concerned about Alisson there. I think he's a terrific goalkeeper, um, to be honest. I was obviously behind the goal in the FA Cup final. And he struck me just his sheer presence, you know, how vocal he is, the leadership qualities. One on one, he brings he's to the brilliant. Team. Yeah, yeah. Be- because he's massive. 
It's absolutely giant. You can talk. Um, well, yeah, exactly. So when I say that, you have to sit up and uh, and take note, notice. There was a debate, by the way, on the sports bar this week about Mo Salah maybe not being a, a big game, big game player. Uh, I'm sure Kev's got a view on that. I think if you look at the some of the goals he scored against the likes of Chelsea and Manchester, Manchester City, City I'd goal. That, <laughs> that, that, I'd say that, that probably disputes that. I really. think we'll probably just dispel that there. Yeah, I, I, look, I, I think he does come alive uh, against elite opposition. I see no reason why he won't be able to do that. I, I do think Luis Diaz, just going back to the point about the front three, I think Mane's been brilliant through the centre yeah. since he moved there. I think it's given him a boost having Luis Diaz come in and he's looked across and thought, oh, oh I'm going to have to up my game now. And he's absolutely done that. Luis Diaz, I think, is as much as Vinicius Jr. going at Trent is a key going back the other way Luis Diaz running at Carvajal uh, I think is a, a big tactical key to the game Carvajal was superb late on against Manchester City defensively I think he's all over the place Yeah, and, uh, and I think there is an opportunity for Luis Diaz and Andy Robertson overlapping to cause all kinds of issues for him so he's going to need help on that side so I wonder if we might see Fede Valverde play as well, just to give them a bit of a bit of oomph down that that right and help out, but it's going to be fascinating be on the flanks because it's going to be won and lost probably on the flanks, isn't it? Because Trent Alexander-Arnold will be worried about Vinicius Junior running in behind him, but also his delivery, his threat from the right hand side, and actually when he drifts inside as well is absolutely superb. But also, if they spend too much time worrying about Trent then the threat could come from Luis Diaz or Andy Robertson down that left-hand side, who's been terrific this season, Dean. I mean, if you're a centre-forward in that team, you are literally licking your lips at the amount of different quality deliveries that you can get from all angles. You'd score about 150 goals, wouldn't you? Probably more. Um, he, uh, he's, <laughs> he, he kind of goes under the radar, doesn't he, Robertson? Because Trent gives you those real moments in games, you know, where it's sort of, a big intake of breath, you know, the outside of the foot, ball through the middle in the in the cup final. Those moments from Trent maybe just overshadows actually how productive Robertson is on that on that left hand side. And and what's so good about him is is his engine, isn't it? He will just continually give Carvajal that question of, are you coming out to me? Or are you going to stay with Diaz? Is somebody going to track him? So. I think when the team sheets come out, that'll give us a really good indication if Valverde does play as to where Ancelotti sees that that danger on the other side as, as well as as well as Trent. So I'll be really fascinated with the team sheets as to whether there's these odd few players that may or may not play and how that might affect the two managers' thoughts on the way they're going to play. Okay, uh, a boost from Salah this week. We've already mentioned Crook uh, at least staying at Liverpool to the end of next season. But is Mo Salah, Mo Salah running down his contract? It's a possibility, isn't it? I mean, if, you, if you actually pick out the words, it's a, it's a massive boost for Liverpool on the eve of their biggest game of the season that their star man is committed. But for how long? Um, I'm sure those contract negotiations will continue. I think Liverpool will be doing all they can to keep him, I saw a tweet from Kev actually he said he's earned the right really basically to run down his contract and gone a free transfer. <laughs> I'm not sure that uh, the powers that be at Anfield will subscribe to that. But it does also raise question marks, doesn't it, about Sadio Mane. It wasn't quite as uh, forthright when it came to discussing his future. We always felt that one of those two big stars would, would leave this summer. The Bayern Munich links don't seem to be going away mm. when it comes to Sadio Mane. So uh, maybe it could be one in, one out for Liverpool this summer. Well, he's had, the, the, the quotes are quite interesting uh, on him, aren't they? He said, stay, or, uh, stay or, or not stay, I will answer that after the Champions League. Kev? Yeah, it does seem like Bayern are interested. Bayern, I think, have accepted internally that Lewandowski's going to go if Barcelona come up with the right number. And so they're going to have to make a star signing. And Mane is a world-class player. I think we can all uh, accept that. And that would certainly be a massive signing. I must admit, I'm surprised how concrete the interest from Bayern is. But it does seem to be the case. And Hassan Salahamidzic needs a win. He's got to make a big signing because he's under enormous pressure at the moment, the sporting director. Just on Salah, I think football has to change in the sense that 
our view of players running down their contract, we always see it quite negatively, and we always see it as kind of a little bit of a betrayal. Oh, you're gonna you're gonna leave for free. Well, actually, if you look at what Salah has contributed to Liverpool year in year out. I don't think there is a divine right for a club to suddenly get some kind of compensation for him a year before his contract runs out. So if it turns out that he says, do you know what? I'm going to play really, really well for you as well as I possibly can until the end of my deal. And then I'd like to try something else. I'm comfortable with that. I agree. And I think Liverpool should be comfortable with that. And I think actually the Mbappe thing is a sign of what's already happening in the football market, which is the top players want agency over their futures. Absolutely. I think you're going to find them signing shorter deals. And I think you're going to have lots of players who, when we say run down the contract, it seems really negative. They'll get to the end of their contracts and they'll move on. Similar to the NBA, we see that all the time. I think that's the way it's going. Yeah, I, think I don't think that's a bad right. thing. And, um, you know, it's happening everywhere. It? James Tarkovsky's done it as well. Uh, and um, Killian Ballet-Pay's done it. Um, Mane's going to do it as well by the looks of it. You know, it, it, Rudiger did it recently. He's going to um, Real Madrid. So it happens everywhere. Um, the referee is Clement Turpin. Um, is he the best referee that UEFA have got or, or is he just sort of like the next off the conveyor belt? I mean, look, he did uh, the quarterfinal with Chelsea at Stamford Bridge in April. Uh, Karim Benzema scored a hat-trick in that game, so if that's a good omen for Real Madrid, I don't know. Uh, but well, he's, he's French. <laughs> he is French, yes, you're absolutely right. Yeah, yeah. Um, he did, uh, he's 34 matches this season he's taken charge of. He's handed out 118 yellow cards during those matches and... 10 red cards as one every three matches, which is slightly concerning, especially in a Champions League final. You don't want to see anybody sent off in a Champions League final, do you? That would be a disaster. Uh, right, predictions then, boys. What do we reckon? Uh, Dino? I think Liverpool are going to win this comfortably. I think the way I saw Real Madrid against Man City and Chelsea, I think they'll concede chances to Liverpool. And I don't think Liverpool are as fragile as, as the other two teams. I, I think they'll score Real Madrid, but I see Liverpool winning 3-1. Um, I, I, what we didn't mention during the uh, free uh, transfer situation when people running down their contract is that, of course, Gareth Bale, uh, after nine years, has finished his contract at Real Madrid. He's only picked up £200 million in wages over that time, <laughs> so I do hope that he gets a new club. Uh, Crook, what are, your, uh, uh, what, what are your predictions for Saturday night? I've got breaking news actually on Gareth Bale. He is getting a new club this summer. He's just been measured up for a new seven iron, so he's quite happy about that. Uh, Oh, dear, oh, dear. The Um, crap jokes continued into the summer. My prediction is that Liverpool will totally outplay Real Madrid, but Real Madrid, as they've done time and again on this run, will find a way to prevail. I think they'll win it in a penalty shootout. Kev? Uh, I think he'll go to extra time and I think Liverpool will win in the end, but I'm not sure it'll be as comfortable as um, as many have said. Uh, I, but look, I get what Dean says. They're the better team. They're, they are the better team, I think. They're the better unit, but Real have this incredible ability to endure. And I think Liverpool will get there in the end. But I do think Real will have chances on the counter. I think they'll love that high defensive line. Liverpool... That's the way they operate. They're never going to change. It's very successful. But I think Vinicius will absolutely love it. I will predict just one thing and one thing only. This will be one of the greatest Champions League finals of all time. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At bluenile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. 
The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. There's a lot more to those 90 minutes than what goes down on the pitch. With the latest odds, form guides and expert opinions, you'll know the score with Ladbrokes. Odds update on Talk Sport with Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at labrooks.com, 18 plus, be gambleaware.org. T's and C's apply. Nottingham Forest were bottom of the league when Steve Cooper took over as head coach in September. Uh, now they're playing on the uh, Wembley turf for a place in the Premier League. Looking to return there for the first time since 1999. It's the Championship Playoff Final live on TalkSport this Sunday afternoon. Standing in their way, Carlos Corberon's uh, Huddersfield Town. Who, Dean, have hardly put a foot wrong in the Championship this season? They haven't. And I think many would have thought that towards the end of the season they might have fell away but they didn't. And every single person I've spoken to so far about this game wants Nottingham Forest to win. There just seems to be this pull for such a historic club. And Huddersfield are both the underdogs and, you know, the the neutrals um, team that, that, that they don't want to get promoted. But having watched them throughout the season, I've been so, so impressed with the way that Carlos Corbran has set his team up and I think when he came from, from, from Leeds under Bielsa, I think probably many thought, here we go, Huddersfield will suddenly turn into a, a high-pressing, incredibly hard-working team. And they are hard-working, but they're totally different. In fact, they're the total opposite to, to a Bielsa side. They, uh, they have the highest PPDA, which is the passive per defensive action. So it basically means how many passes they allow the opposition to have before they put their foot in. And they allow the opposition to have the most in the championship before they put their foot in. So they just sit back and frustrate and then counter-attack against teams, which is exactly what they'll do against Forest. And Forest probably won't like that. So Nottingham Forest will be the favourites and, and the neutrals' favourites. And Huddersfield will be there to ruin the game and get through in the way that they've played all season. And I've been mightily impressed with how well he set them up in terms of organisation and then in terms of the counter-attacking style that they have. Uh, look, these are two of the best managers in the league. There's no doubt they'll have game plans and they'll both know everything about each other. Um, this is the fourth time they've actually met this season. Forrest won in September at the John Smiths. They won again in the FA Cup. They lost at the City Ground to Huddersfield in December. There's not been a great deal between them in the league this season, to be fair. Huddersfield unbeaten in nine coming into the game. Saw off Luton over two legs. Forrest only here because of Bryce Samba's antics in the penalty shootout, which were crazy good, by the way, and magnificently entertaining. Uh, their last three defeats have been against the top teams in the championship, though. Crook, Luton, Bournemouth, she- Sheffield United. But they're well coached and they're usually entertaining and they do score a lot of goals. Yeah, they do. And goals from all over the pitch, actually. What, what strikes me about these two teams, they are uh, a team in the true sense of the world. And I actually think there is more pressure on Forest going into this game than there is Huddersfield for some of the reasons that Dean has already alluded to. 23 years uh, is too long for a club of Forest stature to be out of the top flight. Uh, they were reminded of that at every turn. 40,000 expectant Forest fans uh, flocking in to Wembley. The fact that most of the neutrals want them to go up. And I think Huddersfield might just relish that. Uh, and we've been speaking in, in terms of the Champions League final about retribution when it comes to Mo Salah. Steve Cooper will be feeling that equally because, of course, he lost in the final um, when he was in charge of Swansea to Brentford last season. It's interesting to look at the different approaches that the two managers have had. Huddersfield have been out here in Portugal with me for some warm weather training. Uh, Steve Cooper, I know, has been working overtime on the training ground at Forest as well. It it really is too tight to call. Forest are the better side, but as Dean has already said, Huddersfield find a way to grind it out. They might just do that again. Do you know what? I think it could be another penalty shootout. I'm fed up with penalties. I don't want any more penalties. Penalties are becoming a tactic amongst clubs. We'll talk about this another time, but I hate penalties. They should be eradicated. It should be over. I think you just play overtime until someone scores. Forget penalties. It's absolutely annoying. The never-ending game. Uh, I, just, I just had enough of it now. Penalties are rubbish. Um, but, they, I mean, he does come up with some phrases, Crook, doesn't he? But uh, and he does like to sort of allude to things that aren't true, like, out here with me doing warm weather training. As if he's seen them, right? And even more so, as if he's been training. I but he's been leading night. the sessions. Did you not know that? <laughs> as if he's been training. 
Crikey, he can't even spell training. He never hasn't seen a cone for about 400 years. I think what it is, is they train with him, see how unfit he is, and that makes them feel good about themselves, about what they can do. I think that's what it is. I'm, I'm, I'm all for the greater good. Uh, just one more point I wanted to make about why the pressure is on Forrest as well. I mentioned Brennan Johnson. If they don't go up, surely they won't be able to keep him out of the Premier League. He's got so many suitors. And will they be able to keep Jed Spence as well? They might not keep him either way. Well, Jed Spence is only on loan, isn't he? He belongs to Middlesbrough, actually. And uh, Middlesbrough... Well, he didn't work out for Middle, at Middlesbrough for him because he fell out with Neil Warnock and then the, he, he didn't want to go back when Chris Wilder took over because he was happy then by then at Nottingham Forest. Actually, Middlesbrough, it sort of suits Middlesbrough because he's gone to Nottingham Forest. He's become a much more saleable asset, actually, at uh, Nottingham Forest. They, Middlesbrough, will sell him in the summer, either to Nottingham Forest, if they end up getting promoted, possibly, or to somebody else in the Premier League. You would have th- With Brennan Johnson... The situation is quite interesting because actually they repelled bids in January. I know that Brentford went in with a fifteen million pound bid during the January transfer window, and they turned that down, believing they could get more money for him. Obviously, I don't know if he's uh, towards the end of his contract, but basically he's being tipped for someone like a top six club. Actually, you know, I know he's been linked with Leicester, Leeds, Newcastle, Brentford um, over the course of the last few weeks and months. But actually, even the bigger clubs, he's twenty one years of age are looking at him because he is, he's clinical in front of goal. He's got terrific pace with and without the ball. Um, you know, young player of the year in the championship this season, Kevin, he's got a bright future. Yeah, he does. J- just one on Jed Spence, by the way. Yes. Before Bayern completed that move for Nusem Mazraoui, which they did recently and brought him in uh, from Ajax, Jed Spence was believed to be quite high on their list and German clubs have been looking at him uh, as a potential option. So that was quite an interesting one. But yeah, Johnson's a hugely exciting player and I can see why uh, there are a number of clubs looking at him. And I don't think he'd look massively out of place uh, at the higher level, as you say, uh, above that kind of Leicester Newcastle level. I think you could probably adapt to a club bigger than that. Um, let's talk a little bit about Huddersfield and some of the characters that they've got. You know, a few injuries over the last month. Danny Ward, the archetypal championship striker, Dean. 14 goals this season in the league, top scorer by some way, but he's only scored two in the last 13 matches. Um, just just explain to us why he doesn't get too many goals. I was looking at Sorber Thomas as well. I mean, I know he's been injured. He's come off the bench in both legs of the semi-final. Jordan Rhodes always can score goals, but he spends most of his time on the bench as well. Just explain to us, you know, what, what, why they don't have someone who scores a lot of goals. Is it just basically because they don't score that many goals as a team? It is what's known as a graveyard shift of a centre forward um, <laughs> role at Huddersfield. It is patience, hard work, you know, intelligence out of possession, which Ward has. So if you take away just the goals, um, tally what he actually does for the team is so important but horrible and boring so I was going to say it, how does just, that make you feel Dean how does that make yeah, you feel yeah it's, it's tough but it's, it's it's the way they play and he has benefited from from certain situations he's been good when they have uh, broken away and he makes sure that he's the one that's in the box I think that is crucial at times when you do counter attack that you're you're there as the forward and he, and he has been but it leads itself to go through these patches where you where you don't score especially if the team aren't creating as many chances but you know they're the best from set plays in the championship Huddersfield Zorba Thomas is back after his injury and crucially you know made the assist for Rhodes his, his finish yeah. to get them through to the final and, and, and again that's going to be that's going to be crucial for for Huddersfield is set plays and Nottingham Forest I'm pretty sure will be doing lots of work on that leading up to this final um, Harry Toffolo is another interesting one he's their second top scorer from, from left wing back and they are quite Ooh, lopsided Norwich and, friend yes and they, <laughs> and they allow him to drift into the midfield area and beyond um, if you saw his assist for Sinani uh, against Luton as well so that's it really there's, there's not much else about Huddersfield. O'Brien's another one I think people should look at. He's, he's, a, he's a homegrown talent. He's fantastic in the midfield. And, and they're going to have to be because Nottingham Forest midfielder are extremely strong with Garner and Yates in there as well. Um, so expect 
to have to be patient if you're a Huddersfield fan, I think, in this game. Uh, there's a hefty Chelsea influence to that squad. Levi, uh, Levi Colwell at the back, Tino Angerin available for them as well. Luxembourg international, Daniel Sinani, the occasional threat, but as we've said, not a lot of goals. Um, it's often called the most lucrative game in sport. The prize is so good uh, that sometimes the pressure can kill a match with tension. I've done a lot of them, none worse than Reading versus Huddersfield, uh, which saw the Terriers promoted under David Wagner. I don't think I've ever recovered from that game. It made me hate going to Wembley for about six months. <laughs> Honestly, it was the worst football match I have ever, ever, ever seen. Do you think that this could be quite attritional too, Crook? Yeah, I do. Yeah, I think Huddersfield will certainly try and make it that way. As I've already mentioned, I think Forrest might feel the weight of expectation as well. I'm just trying to wrap my brains, actually, for the last truly memorable championship playoff final because, obviously, there's a couple of standouts from way back in time. I remember uh, Bolton coming from behind to beat Reading. We've got the, the Sunderland-Charlton playoff final that Mickey Gray won't want reminding of. That was about um, 1998, mate. Exactly. So, I mean, I, when was the last brilliant championship playoff final? You've probably got a better recollection than me. Well, I can't, just, honestly, thinking about it off the top of my head, I haven't thought about it, but um, I did have a thing yesterday where I had a list of them and I, I haven't looked at it again yet, but... Um, the Villa Derby one wasn't Villa great Derby last one season. It was I wasn't quite... there for that one because I was in uh, Kiev for the Champions League final. Um, One-sided last season, Brentford, easy winners. Yeah, they like, were... I remember Swansea beating Reading in a playoff final the a few Fulham, years ago. The Ful- the, what was the, the Fulham-Brentford final the other year was quite good. Um, okay. With um, standout. Joe Bryant's mad goal. That was quite good. Um, yeah, they're often tense. They're often tight. I, I imagine to play in it is quite difficult as well because you know, Dean, how much it, it means to the club, don't you? So that, that must give... It's a bit like playing in an FA Cup final but the reward is even greater for everybody else more than it is even for you, I suppose. Of course, yeah. I'm, I'm sure the players really think about the club when they're, um, when they're in these games. <laughs> Such a striker. It's, it's a, Such a striker. It's a, play, it's a player's dream to play in the Premier League. You know, you watch, in, you watch it week in, week out with all the top international stars and world stars and you want to be part of that. And, and that in itself puts you on edge because it can mean so much and you know what lies ahead if you don't another really difficult season players that are alongside you in that game may not be alongside you because of loans because of them getting a move all of a sudden you know your career path can take such a massive turn from one football match for good or bad that I think that weighs very very heavily on players and and um, I haven't played in one myself, but having, you know, sat and heard stories of the playoffs and and sometimes strange things that managers have done and players have done um, leading up to the game because of the tension that's there, I think is why it leads to most of the time such a turgid affair. Um, and uh, and I think Crook's right. I think Huddersfield will just, they will try and ruin this game and it would be so tense but I guess that's that's why we love it. Indeed we do. And it's live on TalkSport this weekend. Uh, Saturday, we've got the League Two playoff final. Uh, Saturday night, it's the Champions League final. And Sunday, we'll be at Wembley for the Championship playoff final. Who is going to join Bournemouth and Fulham in the Premier League next season? Will it be Huddersfield or will it be Nottingham Forest? Okay, it's time for News Round. Uh, other big stories this week. Uh, the rubber stamping of Chelsea's changing of the guard. They have a new owner, Todd Bowley. He's going to give 200 million quid to Thomas Tuchel to revamp the squad. Jules Kunde is high on that list. Antonio Conte has got a £150 million injection at Spurs. Southampton has sacked half their coaching staff. Marcus Rashford has got engaged, but he's not in the England squad. And everybody's raising money uh, for the Samaritans uh, in tribute to Gary Speed. One other story that's done the rounds as well, Eddie Nketiah looks as if he's going to stay at Arsenal. Get into that uh, with Crookie in just a second. Um, so first big story of the week is Chelsea's ownership change. £200 million to inject into the uh, coffers of the transfer kitty at Stamford Bridge. And Kevin, they're going to keep an eye on Jules Kunde. How good is he? 
He's very good. Um, he's not the kind of imposing physical specimen we often see with centre-backs, but he reads the game ever so well. He's good on the ball. He's a player that's been a big part of what Sevilla have done in recent seasons. He was quite keen on a move before to Chelsea, but Sevilla stood their ground. Monchi stood his ground and said, unless you're going to pay the full release clause fee, we're not going to let him go. So I think he could certainly adapt to the Premier League. I think it'd be a big move for him in terms of his national team chances as well. Um, they've been linked with Joshko Gvardiol at RB Leipzig. Yes. Leipzig are not keen on selling. He's very young, I think isn't the, he? Very young, incredibly young. And he's done really well because to adapt to a new coach, a new league, he's done very, very well. And we saw what he was capable of at times, even though Croatia were a bit chaotic mm. at the Euros. He actually played quite well in some of those games. But he's got to think, well, actually... Am I going to be a regular at Chelsea? And if I'm not, is that going to harm my chances for Croatia at the World Cup at the end of the year? Because this is a big deal. Because it's a World Cup year, that's going to come into players' minds, I think. If they're going to think, well, if I end up on a bench halfway through the season, I'm not going to play for my national team at the World Cup. So I think that's a factor. Just on Christopher and Kunku, by the way, I've seen Chelsea linked with him. Leipzig do not want to sell and have made that quite plain for quite some time. My suspicion, and this is only an educated guess, this may well not happen, but my suspicion is you'll see with Nkunku what we saw with Werner and Upamecano, which is they will say to him, you don't have a release clause at the moment. Give us one more year because we really want to have a crack at Bayern next year. Give us another year. We will put in a reasonable release clause and we'll extend your contract and then you can go next summer. So I think you'll see a lot of clamour about, ooh, where's Nkunku going to go? Leipzig do not want that to happen. OK, they're not the only big spenders that are going to be in the Premier League next year. Obviously, Chelsea trying to retool because they've lost Christensen, they've lost Rudiger, they'll probably lose others as well. Uh, Thiago Silva is older than uh, me, Dean and Crook put together. Um, Antonio Conte is going to be spending some money as well, isn't he? £150 million. It looks like he's got his way. Has he won the battle with Daniel Levy for a war chest, Crook? Yeah, I think he's played an absolute blinder, actually, from the minute he gave you that interview, that very emotional interview after they lost at uh, Burnley, uh, putting doubt in Daniel Levy and the Tottenham uh, hierarchy's mind that maybe he could uh, walk away. There were talks scheduled between Daniel Levy and Conte uh, for this summer over his future. My understanding is that uh, Levy's not even bothering to, to go and meet Conte now because he believes this £150 million war chest, of which I'm told he will get every penny to spend on transfers, uh, will be enough to tempt him to stay. And I said actually at the back end of the season, it, it, for, the, for the big clubs in the Premier League, it's more of a worry if Tottenham gets in the top four than it would be if Arsenal do because they've got an elite coach. He's going to be back now in this transfer window. <laughs> it's a big gap to bridge, isn't it, between them and also and, they've got and something the, the that a lot of two. other clubs haven't got, which is they've got Kane and Son. They've got players that score goals, backed up by yeah. Kulisevsky now. They've got a decent front line. And there's a lot of other clubs in that sort of zone. You know, look at Arsenal, going to sign a five-year contract with Eddie Nketiah, right? That's that, 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 that apparently is going to happen now. Chelsea have got Romelu Lukaku, mm -hmm. who can't hit a barn door with a banjo at the moment, right? So, so the, the goals that Tottenham have got is quite deadly, really. That, that is a rare commodity. They've got to spend yeah. some money on shoring up the defence a bit more and maybe a little bit more mid, midfield creativity. But they've got a good base and a good coach. Yeah, absolutely. And, and that's why I think they can be part of the title conversation next season. As I say, it's a big gap to bridge, but they're certainly going to be a lot, lot closer uh, to, to Liverpool and Manchester City than they, than they have been this season. Goals are important, Dean, aren't they? Very important. I think what's maybe most important is, I think, Kane's return to form, maybe as well. I think he's with Haaland going to Manchester City, you know, is that avenue's gone I think the only other team he would join in England would be Liverpool but I don't see that happening I don't see Liverpool paying the sort of money that you would have to to get Harry Kane out of Tottenham so I think I think Harry Kane's happy now and, and with Conte and the possibility of this 150 million to spend if they do bring in the right players I think that is as vital as the players that they may bring in but I still feel like there's a lot that they need behind that starting eleven to really make them competitive considering all the football they will be playing. 
goalie. I think that North London derby is going to prove to be pivotal in shaping their at least short-term history of uh, short-term future, sorry, if not mid-term, because what it does, Conte is always going to have this constant tension. This is how he rolls. He's always going to threaten, if you don't do this, I'm leaving. If the players don't do this, I'm leaving. If this isn't a competitive club, I'm leaving. He did it at Inter, but he won the Scudetto. This is how he rolls. So that is never going to change. But I think what it does is it allows him to make Tottenham a serious prospect for other players. Because if you look at Ben Sankur, if you look at Kudusevsky, they've got in there, they've played, they've done a great job. If you're Philip Kostic, for example, who's just had a brilliant season with Eintracht Frankfurt, just won the Europa League, and you know you could play wing back for Conte, you're gonna you're gonna accept that as a yeah. as a great option. Whereas you know, if they weren't and it was suddenly, well, I've got to step down from the Champions League with Eintracht Frankfurt to play Europa League, then it's a different scenario. So uh, they won't necessarily get Costage, but they've been linked with him. And I think that would be a perfect move for him and for them. And that's the kind of deal they can pull off now. Whereas Arsenal, all right, Eddie and Ketia scored a few goals towards the end of the season. But I don't think we're going to see any street parties because he signed a new deal with Arsenal. Yeah. And I, I still, I'm still not sure about the coach. You know, the difference between Conte and Arteta is enormous. I still feel there's an element of Pep tribute act about Arteta. That might seem a bit harsh, but I think some of the mannerisms and I still think he's got a lot to do there. And we don't know how he's going to cope with the schedule with having the Europa League and suddenly having to deal with that. So I think the gap between Tottenham and Arsenal is there now. And I think he's going to get wider over the next couple of years. Yeah, sometimes you think that the only thing more authentic about Arteta than Conte is his hair. Um, Rashford got engaged this week. Um, congratulations to him, Marcus Rashford. He, he did a little picture outside. I mean, I don't know, it was that stage, that, that, that sort of fireworks show around the heart flower thing. Anyway, <laughs> it looked nice. It was, it was a nice understated. Of, hey, it was understated. Hey, if, you could, if you can afford to do it. You look like an absolute romantic genius, don't you, right? So well done to him. Uh, he's engaged, but he's not in the England squad, which we will talk about in just a moment. Um, last uh, night, we got a, uh, a little drop uh, that Southampton had confirmed that basically everybody that isn't Ralph Harsenhutl has been sacked. Um, so they, they got rid of Kelvin Davis, who's been there for a very long time, Dave Watson, and Craig, uh, Craig Fleming. I mean, two of those were goalkeepers, which I always think was slightly weird anyway. But anyway, uh, that was their first team coaching environment. Basically, leaving Harsenhutl to either pick his own replacement crook or maybe somebody else is going to pick them for him. In which case, how vulnerable is he? I think he is vulnerable uh, because I think it will be the latter. Um, Ralph Harsenhutl has struggled with his backroom staff since Danny Roll left um, in 2019. Kevin will know all about him, went to Bayern Munich. I think he's now number two um, in the German national team. So really highly regarded, had a great relationship with the players, did a lot of the coaching sessions. Um, so I think it has been a problem and I think it has been a factor in Southampton's decline. I mean, they had a wretched end to the season, one winning their last 13 uh, in all competitions. I've known this has been brewing for a while. I've mentioned on the podcast in my transfer notebook that changes would be afoot behind the scenes. And I think basically they had to decide, did we back Ralph Hasenhutl and get rid of his coaching staff and, and bring in some support? Or do we sack Ralph Hasenhutl? They decided obviously uh, on the former option, but I think it's absolutely vital that Hasenhutl strikes a, a decent rapport, good relationship with whoever comes in and starts the season well because they've got new owners. And as you said to me last night, Sam, privately, they didn't come in expecting a relegation battle. It wasn't quite a relegation battle, but it was certainly more uh, dicey than they would have anticipated their demanding owners. So he's going to need to up his game. And I think he's going to have to change his his persona slightly because there's been a big divide between him and the coaching staff. You'll notice that uh, none of his technical staff really ever join him in the technical area. That's They're deliberate. Allowed, he wants to be, he, he, exactly. He wants to be the, the main man. I'm told he doesn't even consult his coaches about the team lineup before he actually announces it to the players. So I think he has become quite isolated, which works when things are going well. When things are going badly, it doesn't work quite so well. So it's going to be fascinating to see what happens there long term. He has been a bit Jekyll and Hyde this year, hasn't he? I mean, he, you know, sometimes he turns up looking like he's going for a, a day at Ascot. The next minute he turns up looking like he's going uh, uh, down the uh, the gym. He, he, he can't make out whether he's a tracksuit manager 
or a, a suit and tie kind of guy. I always think it's important to have a have a defined style and make sure you stick to it. But he goes to extremes. I mean, sometimes you see managers that wear a sober suit and then, you know, a sober tracksuit. He either goes for the skin-tight tracksuit, showing basically I'm here with my calf muscles bulging, or he goes for the really over-elaborate, uh, well-tailored sort of three-piece suit, doesn't he? Looking like he's, you know, top hat and tailing it. It's a bit extreme. Um, okay, uh, England squad, Dean. Jared Bowen is in. What do you think of it? I think it's fantastic for him because he must have been devastated when he got injured earlier on in the season when it looked like he, he was very likely to get a call up then. And as a player, you always think there might only ever be one chance with England. Um, I think his form has, has meant that Gareth can't ignore him. Um, and... From everything I hear about him at West Ham, he's a fantastic character. He's still so humble, incredibly hardworking. I think it, once again, it shows how important the our pyramid is for players to even get to international level. If you look at the amount of players in that squad that have had experience of, uh, of the EFL and non-league, of which Jared Bowen has, has made his way from, I think that's that's fantastic. And it shows that it doesn't just mean that you have to come through the England system, although it is important to Gareth Southgate, clearly. Um, the only thing I would say is, is is that England is a different animal. It's very, very different. You know, the pressures that come with, with, uh, with, with going away with England and any England game you play, whether that is a friendly or Nations League or World Cup, is very, very different. So... I'm sure the environment will be right as it has been for so many players and I'm sure he'll do great. But that, that's the, the one thing you never know about because of the pressures that come with playing for England. Yep. Um, you talk about the EFL experience, just going through the squad, you can see, you know, Jack Grealish has played in the EFL with Aston Villa, obviously, Jared Bowen, uh, James Ward-Prowse with Southampton, Calvin Phillips with Leeds United, Mount had a spell there with uh, Derby, although he obviously came through the Chelsea system and was very much in the England age group teams. Bellingham played for Birmingham City in the EFL as well. Uh, ben White's played in the EFL. Um, Kieran Trippier's played in there with Burnley and others. Um, you, James Justin, it's got to be mentioned, you know, come through from Luton Town and now playing for Leicester City. He's in the squad for the first time, so congratulations to him. Uh, Fix back in as well, Fikayu Tomori, after winning the Scudetto with AC Milan. It's good to see him back uh, too. So there is, you know, Ramsdale and Pope, obviously, and other ones that have played, and Pickford, all have played in the EFL as well. So it is a very interesting squad. Uh, interesting that, um, well, I mean, Calvert-Lewin and, and Watkins aren't involved in it. I think Abraham is the number two to Kane and has been always in Gareth Southgate's mind. Having spoken to him about that, he said, you know, statistically, if you, if you have a chance drop into the penalty area, you want it to fall to Tammy Abraham first before it goes to Calvert-Lewin or it does to to, to Watkins. He's that sort of striker. Um, at the back's quite interesting because it's the first time I've ever seen an England squad with Connor Cody in it and no Tyrone Mings. Those That partnership's been broken up. Uh, and broken up, I think, because Mings has had a very difficult end to the season with a few high-profile mistakes and others have gone on and above him in terms of the pecking order crook. Yeah, and I think when it comes to Connor Cody, it's not just about what he brings on the pitch uh, because, obviously, when everybody's fit, you wouldn't expect him to get anywhere near the starting eleven of the World Cup. It's what he brings in, in the dressing room, I'm told, and you'll back this up, Sam. He's a leader. He's almost the, the off-field captain. He so is, yeah. uh, I, can, captain. I can understand why he is still there. Never been sold on Tyrone Mings, to be honest. I thought when Aston Villa signed him from Bournemouth, they paid over the odds. I didn't understand why he kept getting in the England squad because he is someone who regularly makes mistakes. For me, I think he's a liability um, in terms of if you're, if you're trying to win the World Cup and Tyrone Mings is in your first eleven. I think that means problems. Okay, uh, gentlemen, thank you very much. Um, uh, just a quick word on the uh, Leeds United supporters and supporters of other clubs as well who are doing the Gary Speed Charity Walk this week. Four days, 92 miles from North Wales uh, to Ellen Rose. Uh, it's organised by the Square Ball guys, the, the Leeds United podcast boys, um, and they are doing it all for the Samaritans charity. So if you get a chance to have a look and follow what they're doing, please do. I know they're worried a little bit about rain this week because it's not supposed to be the nicest weekend, but four days, 92 miles. I mean, that is one hell of a, a walk. That is that, that is warm weather training, Crook. That's proper warm weather training. You 
Absolutely. Yeah. Brilliant cause. Good luck to them. Worried about rain. I'm not too worried about rain where I am. So that's good. You're not doing a 92 mile walk, are you? Maybe I'll do it here, you know, show a solidarity. Shall I set off now? Okay, yeah. Go on then, do it then, we'll track you. I'll back him to manage two before he stops. Two? You're joking, (laughs) aren't you? Um, Dean, uh, have a good... uh, There's a bar around the corner. (laughs) (laughs) He can do 92 bars in four days. (laughs) That's a great shout. I like that. (laughs) Right, thank you very much, gentlemen. Uh, Back uh, on Monday morning to have a look at the Championship Playoff Final and, of course, the League Two Playoff Final as well, but predominantly reviewing the Champions League Final. Who will it be? Liverpool or Real Madrid that end up lifting that huge, big-eared trophy. The Premier League All Access Podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. The latest odds? We set them. Form guides? We've got them. Expert opinions, we share them. The best fans in the world deserve the best. Be match day ready before the whistle blows with Labrooks. Odds updates on Talk Sport with Labrooks. Are you in? Let's go. Play at labrooks.com, 18 plus, be gambleaware.org. T's and C's apply. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.